Well, hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to episode 60 of the Pastors Roundtable podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Latham, and I'm grateful, so thankful that you've taken the time to join me in this great conversation with Terry Parkman as we look at coming out of 2020 into 2021, what does the future of youth ministry look like, right? What does it look like? He's got a lot of great thoughts, a lot of great answers as we look ahead to continuing to minister to Gen Z and the future there. Well, I want to encourage you guys to take a look at Church Fuel. They provide all kinds of great content, training videos, courses, sample emails, sample outlines, coaching, webinars, tons of stuff for a low monthly membership cost. Check it out. RenewedLeadership.org slash fuel will get you taken there. So go to RenewedLeadership.org slash fuel to get signed up for your membership. Wait, Terry Parkman is the next gen pastor at River Valley Church in Minneapolis. It's a multi-site church with locations around the U.S. and even overseas. He oversees everything from birth to career And he's also a part of the Emerge 21 Next Gen Network. He's got all kinds of great information, has studied Gen Z, has spoken to many, many groups about Gen Z. You're going to really enjoy this conversation. Get ready to take notes because it is packed full of information. Enjoy. Well, hey, Terry, thanks for jumping on with us today. Super excited for you to share a little bit about, um, man, all the years of research and conversation that you're having with youth pastors around the nation, even leaders around the nation. So, Terry, thanks for jumping on with us today. Hey, it is such an honor to be with you, man. Thank you so much for reaching out. I'm excited to have the conversation. Yeah. So, Terry, for those of you that don't already know, okay, so let's jump in. Let's give them just a little bit of your journey in ministry, a little bit of even your faith journey. Would love for for us to just kind of hear a little bit about your story. Absolutely. Well, uh, I've been married to my wife, Christina, for 17 years. We have two beautiful little girls, uh, both of them adopted from China, Avali and Nova. And I think I got the most two extroverted people from the Eastern world. I, I, I guarantee it. I mean, these girls are wild and crazy. My wife and I, we always prayed before we brought them home, God somehow supernaturally give them our DNA. And they came to us, we're like, God, not that part of our DNA. <laughs> like, <laughs> these girls are crazy and they're amazing and we love them to death. Uh, I'm the next gen pastor at River Valley Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. We're a multi-site church um, with campuses here in Minneapolis and then abroad as well. Uh, I oversee everything cradle to career. So that's kids, youth, young adult, internship program and just kind of the development of the next generation in all because that's that's my heartbeat man it's the next generation i mean god called me to youth ministry originally when i was a sophomore in high school and then he started to evolve the calling and not so much evolve the calling but open my eyes to all aspects of the calling which encompassed um the totality of next gen um as a whole yeah and you're doing some stuff with some international um, groups as well why don't you share a little bit about that too Yeah, so I am uh, involved with this uh, organization called Empower 21. And Empower 21 is a collaboration, a collaborative, a coalition of all the spirit-filled movements globally. So every Pentecostal movement around the world, it gets together because they're passionate about seeing people uh, encounter Jesus Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit by 2033. Everybody in the world. 
2033 because it's 2000 years uh, after the death of Christ and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Um, and so I get uh, the privilege of overseeing and serving the next gen side of that. So I'm the global co-chair for the next gen side of that. And we just had a global next gen conference, 100% online, over 20,000 people attended 151 countries represented all having the same conversation regarding the next generation and what was super cool is all the different ways that people talked about the same subject and how we were able to identify emerging themes i think it put us five years ahead in regard to the kinds of conversations we should be having about the next generation yeah so speaking of which you know, i've heard you say that this generation are publishers um, and yes. that we need to allow them to engage in that publishing process. So now what, what does that mean for those of you that haven't heard, what does that mean? And maybe what does that even look like practically for us? Yeah, well, that's a great question. Um, fundamentally it breaks down to the way we're wired. Now we have a generation, which I believe Gen Z and a lot of other people do as well, believe that Gen Z is the world's first global generation. What we mean by global generation is it's sharing values and, and culture across borders and boundaries um, and across oceans in ways we never have before all through what they see on their screen. And a lot of people still roll their eyes at it, mainly in the church, I don't know why we're still behind, but we roll our eyes at that thinking it's a trend or a fad. But at the end of the day, you have a generation that looks at their screens on average seven to eight hours a day globally, okay? Their mind, by every swipe they take, the way they access information, the way they comment, the way they externalize everything that they look at, they, they like, they retweet, they share, they post. That's, that's publishing. It's not just consuming, but they're doing something with their life and they're putting it out there. They're neurologically being rewired to do that for eight hours a day. In essence, we have the world speaking the same language. Uh, and it might not be a verbal language, but it is a digital language. And the last time we had the whole world speaking the same language was the Tower of Babel. And so we have a unique season in our life to where we have a generation of publishers that are being neurologically rewired to think the same, um, pursue information the same way, and talk about their culture the same way. And it's really interesting to see how people are now being informed by what their screens more than they are by their families sometimes. Okay, so Gen Z, we've been talking about them for a while now. They're starting to creep up into adult ministries now, okay, so yes. at lower levels, right? And so yeah. um, for the lead pastors or even campus pastors that are listening to this podcast, watching, what should they be learning from your studies and your understanding, your findings to prepare sure, for, because right, it's not just youth pastors anymore, right? We're start, we need to start really preparing in the upper levels too. Yeah, without a doubt. I mean, oldest Gen Zs are arguably 25 to 27 years old, depending on where you put the marker for it. Um, they're right on the line with millennials. And so they're kind of that micro generation between millennial and Generation Z. But they had just graduated college if they even went to college, or they just started their fourth business, you know, depending on Gen Z. They're super, on, they're <laughs> or super both. entrepreneurial or both. They're the most entrepreneurial generation in history. Um, it, it's the, it's the biggest generation where, um, side hustles exist, you know, side hustles in this generation of workers, what in America, 80% of this generation of workers in America have a side hustle, you know, it's the whole gig economy that we're talking about here. And so when we talk about Gen Z creeping up into adult ministry, which they're there, they're there right now, if they're creeping up into adult ministry, we have to understand that they're not going to walk away from our church because they don't love Jesus, but they may walk away from our church because we deliver the gospel in a way they're not wired to receive it anymore. 
Um, and, I've, and I've told the story before, uh, a friend of mine in Japan, a national youth director of a huge uh, Christian movement there, um, started said to me, Terry, 10 years ago, we saw 15 teenagers, no, 30 teenagers on average in every church, 30 teenagers. And he said, today we have 0.7 teenagers on average in every church. And what we found is that what they weren't leaving the church, they were just leaving our church. And that's a big statement. I mean, I think we have all these crazy, scary stats that like by 2050, X amount of millions of young people are going to leave their church. Maybe they're not just leaving the church. Maybe they're just leaving my church. And are we tracking where they're going? In Japan, they started tracking these individuals and realized they just found faith movements that helped them to receive the gospel in the way they were wired to. It's, it's really interesting. Uh, for, some to, for, some, for a generation that's wired to publish, our churches are often built for consumers. And we have to ask ourselves, in which way can I put the gospel in their hands, help them to wrestle with it, rather than give them all the answers right out of the gate? So what should we be doing? What, is that, what does that shift look like, practically speaking? What are some things that we can implement right now, right? I mean, most churches right now are with COVID, all kind of stuff. A lot of programs are blowing up. A lot of things are just kind mm-hmm. of, uh, right, right? So like right now is a great mm-hmm. time to reinvent, mm-hmm. reshift, like, add in new strategies because by the time sure. people are back to normal, they're like, well, I guess we've always been doing this. Right. And it's like, well, we started it, you know? So right now is a great yeah. time to kind of reinvent some yeah. stuff. So what should they be yeah. thinking about? Yeah. Well, if we're talking about Gen Z and we're talking about how they're engaging and we're talking about the disruption of the pandemic, look, Gen Z is a disruptive generation that itself has been disrupted. And so the rules have changed for what they expect. And what the biggest phrase right now going around in the world and the church world are, is are two, two words, digital transformation. And digital transformation doesn't really mean like, okay, well, we were in quarantine for four months and now we have to change everything about church. What it does mean is it means that people's expectations have changed on their in-person settings. And they probably don't realize it and they don't know how to articulate it. Case in point, if I had a small group that I loved before the pandemic and I loved the food, they had great food, they had a big bougie house, it was amazing to go there, they had a heated swimming pool, this is my favorite small group, right? And the pandemic hits. Sounds like one I want to go to. (laughs) Exactly. Usually small group houses smell like cats and soup. Like it's horrible. So like that's, (laughs) that's why people don't go to our small groups because our houses are horrible. But like, um, (laughs) hey, those are the guys that volunteered, right? (laughs) That's it. So here I am, Lord send me. Um, So we have uh, a great small group, but then the pandemic hits. And then we go into quarantine and we move it to Zoom. And what we found by and large globally is that people become, began to open up more uh, over their screens because they felt the screen was a barrier that protected them and they were sitting in their home, own homes. So the conversation became more authentic in general and it became uh, much deeper and much more transparent. Well, then say quarantine lifts and I go back to that small group in person and the food is still good, the house is still good, the swimming pool is still heated, but the conversation doesn't feel the same. And I'm like, oh, I, don't, I don't know if I want to be here anymore. I don't know why. I mean, it's not them. It's, it feels like maybe it's me. What happened was that my expectations have changed on my in-person setting because of what happened to me digitally. It's like going, to high, going from high school to college, and then you come back for Christmas, and you look at your bedroom. You're like, this feels like a little kid's bedroom. I'm a college now. You don't want a different bed. You don't want a different closet. But you do have different expectations on the way your room should be adjusted to meet who you are today because you just went through something that transformed your expectations. And one of the biggest misses that churches will have today is they'll think digital transformation has everything to do with screens, everything to do with video, everything to do with online. 
And the bit most important thing is to adjust our in-person expectations. And I'll say this, I just said a mouthful, but it really boils down to five things, access, people's expectations on access, engagement, community, leadership, and discipleship, okay? And so those are the five areas that I think every church should be looking at when they're coming out of the pandemic saying, how can I meet the new expectations that my church, my people have? Okay, so that was a lot. So <laughs> let's walk down, let's walk through that a little bit, okay? So these five steps, right? It's these five areas. Sure. So what should each one of those levels be thinking about? <clears throat> how can we... Sure. Right. I mean, like, I, I mean, are, yep. right. Like when I, when I look at this generation and, and the stats, all that kind of stuff, a lot of times it's kind of like, well, should we just blow everything up and just go, go digital and you know what I mean? But like, I don't think that's, I think you're saying the exact opposite from what I hear from you sometimes as well. Totally. Right? So. totally. I mean, look, we already have a pattern of meeting people's new expectations in church. We have kids ministry to meet kids' expectations, youth ministry to meet youth expectations, women's ministry, men's ministry. So we already do that. Let's not get it twisted like we gotta create something new. We do that, okay? Second of all, people aren't gonna prefer online. A lot of people say, oh, I just still go to church online. Well, our analytics say you don't. <laughs> so don't lie, church. You know, we still, in-person is still gonna be a thing. And so when we talk about what we're doing right now and meeting expectations, it's just realizing that these expectations have less to do with stage of life, life and more to do with an experience they just had. So access, okay? One of the most important things about access, and it's simple in this way, how many doors do you have on your ministry? Is there one kind of person that will feel comfortable in your church? Are there two kinds of people? Well, then you have two doors. Are there three kinds of people? Are there, what's it built for? And what we might have to ask ourselves is what kind of people need to access our church and are they able to by the doors we have built so a door is greeters how are you making your greeters feel more accessible how are you making your church feel accessible through the people that's standing at the front door how are they becoming more accessible through your deacons or your leaders or your volunteers in the lobby what if the only way that people could come to jesus christ is in the conversations they have in the lobby and not in what, by what you preach on the stage how much more would you intentionally develop leaders to be accessible to your people who walk through the doors that's what i'm talking about if they find better access to relationship on screen more than they do in our lobbies, mm. we got a problem. And so that's one of the biggest ways access is being transformed. A second one is engagement. All right. So we've all scrolled, right? And we scrolled past like our best friend's posts, but then we realized our best friend has 10 paragraphs in their caption. Yeah, I don't read that. I scroll past that. Somebody sent me the audible version of that. I am trying to read that. Okay. Why am I not engaging it? Because it doesn't meet me where I am. I only stop scrolling when something interests me, when I see a picture that captures my attention. And how many times do people just are now wired to scroll past what we're saying when we're sitting in church? Because we're not preaching what they need, we're preaching everything we know. And there's a big difference. Sometimes we spend our sermons answering questions that they're not even asking anymore. And so we have to say how many, it's not how many butts are in our seats, but how many butts in our seats are engaging the content of what we're saying at all levels. Um, if they can engage Instagram better than our sermons, we got a problem. Uh, and uh, the third one would be community. Um, and I'll make this statement. And I know there's so many loaded things I'm saying right now. Um, <laughs> I know it. Everybody's like, okay, then what about that? Well, tell me. And what I don't want to do is contextualize it for your listeners or your viewers, because there's no magic bullet on how to do this. These are tension points that will help mm -hmm. us to discover solutions. And so community I say this, community trumps personal decisions seven days a week. That means if somebody visits your church and they don't find the community that they have found online with their friends, 
they will not come back because they have a new expectation on what community can look like. And if they are more engaged in community online, so that means we have to wrap everything we do in community, everything. It's like putting bubble wrap on everything. Put community around your greeters, put community around your cafe workers, put community around your, your uh, ushers, put community around your worship team, put community everywhere. So everywhere they go, somebody is sucked into community. That is massive. We see students walking away from their faith in Jesus in high school, not because they don't love Jesus, but because they're lonely. And the only people giving them community aren't Christians, but their uh, unsaved roommate. And so people are, I mean, we've all been there. We're seeing students like, what happened to you? You were awesome. You were on fire for Jesus in high school. Well, it's because we led them into a relationship with Jesus without community. And that's an issue. So community is key. The last two are discipleship and leadership. Um, I would say that discipleship is the new outreach. Online, when I want something deep, I don't find the intro class. I don't find the one-on-one class. I find the master class. You better tell me the best stuff. Um, when I need to fix my washer, I'm not reading about the history of washing machines. I'm trying to go find like the timestamp on the part that's going to tell me exactly the part I need and how to fix it. And it, when we preach, we give people the intro class or the one-on-one class, never really getting to the answers um, that they really need and that of the questions that they're asking. And so it's very important that when we bring discipleship in, we don't teach them how to eat a steak by giving them a hot dog when we preach. We teach them how to appreciate good steak by giving them good steak. And that is a key piece. And discipleship is a perfect atmosphere in a blend of community, access, and engagement to where we can see that really take place. I would argue that discipleship is the new outreach and people will come and stay more because they have a place to where they can have their questions answered at deeper levels. Yeah, I mean, the church has the opportunity to provide what digital doesn't have the opportunity to provide, right? Authentic, in-person yep. relationships where we really know each other really well. And um, I, I think there's there's a, a back, you know, a, a need from, we've been so disconnected, we've been so digital that that's what the church can provide is this is authentic, real place where you can come in to, and so yep. it's, providing something that the digital world can't provide. Um, and so I think it's yes. And in a lot of ways, um, I don't think it's yes. either or. So yes. you've also talked about the fact that you feel like youth ministry, the church should be called a laboratory and, um, yeah. we'd love for you to unpack that for us. Yeah. Um, uh, to your point, and I, I want to get to your, your question, to your point about the church providing something that the world can't provide. I think social media sometimes tries to, tries to give a pale comparison to what the Holy Spirit can provide. The Holy Spirit, look, everybody's like, well, what can the church give that the world can't? I'm sorry, and access to the presence of God. I'm sorry, deep biblical understanding. I'm sorry, we can give identity greater. That You know, the, the body of Christ brings an identity greater than social media. Uh, the Holy Spirit brings you influence greater than any amount of followers that you have. And it brings a community a deeper community than we can ever discover. So you said it. I think that's the whole game right there. And I, and I think, think that's the, I think that's the, the one of the things that we need to be focused on even more is what can yes. we provide in, in person gatherings that they can't get online by themselves. Yes. Right? Like, like yep. they can't get that fellowship. They can't get that, that same level of just complete coming to the altars right. and, and having someone pray with them. And, and, and yep. you know, I mean, let's get a little bit old school here, you know, anointing them with oil. Right. I mean, like, like just like they, they can't get that by themselves scrolling through Instagram, throwing, scrolling through TikTok, whatever that might be. But 
to have that leader. I mean, like when I gave my life to the Lord, right? Like I came forward, there was a leader that put his hand on my back, led me through a prayer and encouraged me and then walked with me through that journey. Right. And um, I know we can provide some of that through social media and we need to not exclude that. I just think when we can provide real yes. authentic yes. encounters yes. that they can't get by themselves, yes. that's when people are going to be flooding back in droves. Yeah. And I think, especially for some of these states that still, as we're recording, are still closed. I mean, we're, we're approaching on 12 months. Of these people have not been able to go to church. They have not been wow. able to go to, wow. like a lot of people still like aren't even going to the grocery stores. I mean, you and I live in states yeah. that are fairly open, but yeah. there's, as you know, there's still a lot of that aren't. And so I think they're going to yeah. be, I hope, I pray that they can encounter something so yes. real, so tangible yes. and yeah. so life giving in the local yeah. church that they just want to come and be a part of that. And, and that there is a distance between what they're accounting online. Yep. I, I totally agree. And I think as a church, we double down on what we do well. <laughs> like that's the thing we, we're built for this, like just double down on it. I think so many times we ask ourselves, am I even doing this right? That we never do anything because we're afraid like, oh, what if I get it wrong? Stop. Like we know how to do this. We're built for this. Let's just do it. Well, am I doing it right on social media? Do something on social media. Am I doing it right online? Do something online, but you're going to like, just do it. Like God's going to bless it. God's blessed the crappy work of our hands for millennia. And it's been amazing. He will bless the crappy work of your hands, church. Like just do it and see what God does with it. It's amazing. Yeah, I was listening to a podcast with the, the guy that founded Netflix. And he was talking about how when they first started, it took them weeks and months and months to like launch something. And then they found it wasn't very good. And so he just says, man, we just got to get quicker at failing yeah. faster. We got to yes. fail faster. Like Yes. Let's not wait until it's all mm -hmm. perfect. Let's just throw it out there. Mm -hmm. Misspellings, not yep. perfectly. Put, yep. And then, and like, if it works, then let's put the effort into it. Right. Like yep. so what you're saying is yep. like, man, just try some things like try some social totally. media. I mean, like youth pastor out there, like do your not good dance moves, but just try it. You know what totally. I mean? Like just try do something, right? Do it. Do it. I think, I think it's huge. I think that's very important because the faster we can fail, the faster we can find the solution. And some people are like, how do you do everything right? It's like, you just don't see the 12 times I failed. I did it so fast and I did it low key. I don't have to publish every time I fail. Stop. You, you ain't going to see any of them if it's up to me, but I'm not <laughs> going to sit here and not try because I have this dream in my heart that demands to be seen, that demands to see the light of day. And so that's why I think it's important to use your ministries as a laboratory, which was just, this is a great segue, which is a way to use our ministries as an amazing laboratory. So many times we want to curate our ministries like you curate art in a museum. We want to get the perfect piece of art, put it in the perfect place. So when people walk by it at the right time, they fully experience it. And we spend so much time with the curation that we leave no room with experimentation. And hear me when I say youth pastors, youth ministry is the best laboratory. It's the best sandbox. Every idea I have, I try to funnel it into my ministry. The way you do it without blowing it up is to discover your non-negotiables, okay? A non-negotiable is not your game on a, on a Wednesday, okay? A non-negotiable is probably community. A non-negotiable is probably worship. A non-negotiable is probably preaching. A non-negotiable is probably a response time, okay? It's not the lighting. I'm sorry, youth pastor. It's not the smoke on stage. It's not anything like that. It's not the video. It's those key pillars. And once you establish those non-negotiables, any other area is up to be labbed out, experimented with, because the dreams that God gives you 
will only see the light of day through a sandbox and not in concrete. Like you gotta be able to play with it a little bit. Never put the whiteboard away because it's in the process that we hear the clarity on the voice of God, just like Abraham, start walking. And when you start walking, then I'm gonna tell you where you're going. In the same way, we have to start moving and experimenting so that we can get that clarity from, the, from God. Okay, but excellence, right? Yeah. Total buzzword. Yeah. Everyone's Love talking it. excellence, <laughs> right? So how yeah. do we balance laboratory, experiment, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. then excellence? How do we, how we balance that? Um, excellence doesn't win, win people to Christ. It just, it doesn't, it looks good, but we have to keep this in mind. And, and this is another huge conversation that excellence today is too tied to attractional model church. Um, we say attractional model church made everything clean and crisp, but it took pastors out of suits and put them in denim jackets and skinny jeans. It, it put lighting on the stage. It made brought coffee into, I mean, attractional church did that, which is great. But then we say excellence is nailing attractional church. That is not excellence. That is not excellence. Excellence is not being slave to a model. And I would say the attractional church is dying and has died about three years ago. And the church is doubling down on that. Won't find people coming because they're attractional. They'll find people coming because they're relational. And so excellence takes a back seat to diligence and obedience. Diligence is showing up to what God told you to do. And obedience is following through. And then doing it as good as you can even if it doesn't look like something that's Instagrammable or something that people would, would like ooh and ah about. Um, the, the, the emergence of social media with attractional model church created a Frankenstein that now people are trying to feed, you know, because attractional model church looks great on social media. But at the end of the day, you have to redefine excellence. And excellence is simply diligence followed up with obedience. And when we do that, we will see God blessings. Look, I have been in amazing, good-looking ministries that were crap. I'm sorry, I'm going to say it on this podcast, but it's like, what? This dude don't even know how to preach. That was a horrible game. Why did he put that transition there? And these kids are walking out worse, more unsaved than they were when they walked in. Like, then I've been in ministries that didn't have the flash and the ooh and the ah, but bro, the substance was so deep. I was swimming in it. I was drowning in it, and I was learning things from it. And that's not to say that like, okay, great, Terry, just give me permission not to do good things and cool things. No, stop. Like do both hand. Like diligence, show up to what God told you to do, follow through with it as obedience and do it as good as you can. And if as good as I can is making it look good and feel good and feel welcoming, I'm going to do that. But let's redefine excellence because excellence isn't something that's going to get us our well done, good and faithful servant. What's going to get us our well done, good and faithful servant is dispensing ministry to the body of Christ so they can discover their calling. God can be like, well done, good and faithful servant. You kept it real. No, <laughs> you know, bless you for your ability to keep it real. Like when Jesus walked up on people who were like crippled, he didn't say, according to your ability to keep it real, stand up and walk. And so many people are like, I just want to be excellent. So I want to keep it real. No, your faithfulness, your belief, your faith, your ability to show up to what God has called you to do. That is what heaven defines as excellence. So redefine excellence and you'll find freedom in your process. Terry, when you're looking ahead, you know, we've got Gen Z right here, but we've yeah. got Alpha coming right behind them. What are you starting to think about? What are you starting to see? What are you starting to kind of think as you guys are looking yeah. four or five yeah. years ahead? What are you guys looking for even more continued shift? Yeah, um, I don't know if we're even going to call them Gen Alpha. I don't like, I think we did that when they were two years old and like somebody yeah. gave them that because we ran out of letters. So I, I don't know. <laughs> 
I, I don't I don't know if we're gonna call this Gen Z. We did because it's the last letter in the alphabet, but I think it's gonna be defined by something else. It's like running out of hurricane names. Like you just meh. so I don't know what we're gonna call them. And I also do, I think it's too early to make any assumptions. I can make predictions and I could be Tony Stark and try to build the future today, but it ain't gonna happen. Um, and I think it's a little bit of posturing when people say, well, let me tell you about how Gen Alpha is gonna change the game. You don't know, those kids are like seven maybe, you know, five to seven years old. Yeah. My little girl is five, I don't want her to change anything. She does not, no, I'm not putting squat in her hands. What we do have to understand though, is look at Gen Z. So the church, and we're addicted to discovering the next in the church, so much so that sometimes we forget the now. Yep. And we neglect the now. So and so we, with millennials, we started writing books and patting ourselves on the back for millennials when that their generation was three-fourths done. Gen Z, we got ahead of the curve and we started writing books on Gen Z at the beginning of Gen Z. Like once they started getting into junior high, which is, I think, the perfect time. It's really hard to make assumptions that, until they're hitting junior high. Um, but with Gen Alpha, we can get way, 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 way ahead and have conversations about what might happen. But as we know with the pandemic, everything got disrupted. So it's gonna take a solid turn. If I were to guess, and this is just Terry Parkman's guess, I think the church is going to have to figure out how to be more substantial in its content and not attractive in its content. The church is gonna to have to be excellent at putting up guardrails um, because it, this, gener this generation are hackers and they're not training the next generation not to be hackers. The next generation, the, it's going to be a hack economy. You have people hacking their education, but you have people hacking their jobs. You have people like you step into a church and you're writing your job description as you go instead of embracing a job description. It's, it's an interesting thing. So when you look at the next generation, what we have to understand is if leaders today want to build the vehicle of faith, we are going to lose those people in our seats. We have to be better at putting up guardrails and letting them build their own vehicle. Why? Because if all I do is build a Lamborghini of faith and tell them to sit in the back seat, by the time they get out of high school, they won't know how to build or any vehicle and they'll be lost and they'll be trying to hitchhike their way through their faith. My job is to put up the guardrails. So what if they build a Toyota Corolla, Terry? That's from like 1982. So they build a Toyota Corolla. It's still the vehicle of faith. And further, when they ping a guardrail, number one, at least they're not going off road spiritually. And number two, I know exactly the place I now need to develop and disciple them. And as leaders, if we don't shift from our need to feel significant and just build their vehicle of faith for them and move into the space of putting up guardrails and teaching them how to build their vehicle of faith, we're gonna lose that following generation. You better believe we're gonna lose them. And we, and we, because we're insecure, we say, well, what if they get it wrong? Abraham didn't know God and he got it right through the power of the Holy Spirit. We are guides. We gotta stop treating our, our congregation like we're, they're on a tour and we're the tour guides. And we got to start treating them like Sherpas. I saw this uh, documentary about Sherpas and Sherpas don't take you on a tour of the Himalayas. Now they take you in one direction up and they let you explore. You might make pivots, you might change your plans, but you're still going in the same direction. They're just there to make sure you don't fall off that mountain. And that's it. Cause they want you to discover for yourself. Tour guides, everything's pre-planned. You're gonna sit in one spot. You're gonna put on your headphones. You're gonna to listen to what we say. We're gonna talk the whole time and then you're gonna get off our vehicle. And so we have to lead more like Sherpas and put up guardrails more than we do like tour guides and build vehicles. And I think that that's, that's the beginning point. If we don't nail that today, we're going to see people leave to those contexts tomorrow. All right, Terry, last question here. I know you've uh, are passionate about soul care um, and helping yeah. people to um, really 
become healthier and whole. And you've talked about yep. um, counseling, things like that. So would love for you to just yeah. kind of dive into that for just as we close up here. Yeah. So uh, I'm 41 and I'm still about the next generation. And you're usually, if you're my age and you're in, in next gen, it's because either you're weird and you can't get out because God's called you on or because God's genuinely called you deeper. And I'm grateful I'm the latter. Um, but that also means around a certain point in your life, uh, you can't find significance in the things that gave you significance 20 years ago, 10 years ago, five years ago. And if you keep trying to reach deeper and trying to be tactical, you're going to get burned out. You're going to take on more because God and his faithfulness will grow your capacity the more you grow in him. That means you also have to grow in what you do in ministry and you can't fill that capacity with being elbow deep in the tactics, in the blades of grass. You got to be elbow deep in the broader, bigger process of developing leaders and developing people. And I'll be honest, man, I burned out. I burned out bad into 2019. Like I had a downline of 33 pastors that I was responsible for in four ministries. And I had to change things. I became transactional in, in my processes and not transformational. And I realized that if I don't change it, this is it for me. Like, this is it. I, this is my ceiling. And so I got two things. I got a coach and I got a counselor. Um, the coach to really help me work with people better in this new season of my life. And a counselor to help me deal with all the crap that's capitalizing. Here's the thing. Like stuff doesn't go away. It just builds up and builds up and builds up. And we look at older people and we say, man, I can let that mess happen to me. I ain't going to go sideways. Well, it's because you have half the crap built up in their life that they have, you know? And so at some point for everybody listening, something's going to capitalize in your life and you're going to have to deal with it. And you're going to find out it's rooted in your past or a family of origin issue or whatever. There's so, so Ryan, as I'm talking to you, there's two things that I didn't want to happen. I didn't want to compromise my integrity or my credibility as a leader. And number two, I didn't want to compromise my trajectory in my walk with God. And so I'm like, you know what? I'm going to remove these things in my life. And the coach, I'm done with the coaching. And I, I'm going to try to see a coach every couple of years. Um, I'm still doing the counseling thing. Not like I'm about to have a mental breakdown, but because I don't want to have a mental breakdown. And I'm making sure I'm taking care of myself. Bro, I delete Instagram off my phone every, like almost every weekend. I just, I don't want to look at it. I just don't, you know, it's not good for my mind. It's not good for my heart. That's what I need to do. Um, I get back into working out, not so I can be big and swole and jacked, just so I don't get fat. <laughs> I don't want to be that guy. I don't want to like not be able to pick up my kid, my five-year-old kid and throw them around without tweaking my back. You know, I want th those are things I want to do. And if you don't steward yourself well, you will be of no use to the kingdom. The greatest resource is not your money. The greatest resource is not your ability to preach. Your greatest resource is yourself. And if you do not know yourself, number one, you don't know the way you're created, you don't know it, the way you're wired, you don't know your gifts and talents, and you don't know how to take care of yourself, then you will squander the biggest resource that God has given you. And so I'm huge into making sure you're healthy, because if you're healthy, then everything you do becomes healthy as well. So good. Terry, thank you so much for being with us today. Um, guys, go follow him. Uh, so much wisdom. Uh, speaks around the nation, a lot of conferences. So anywhere he's speaking, sign up, just go, just be a part of it, man, because he's going to be there and you know other great people will be there as well. So thanks so much for listening today, guys. Like, share, subscribe, do all the stuff you know what to do. Uh, leave a comment with love. Can't wait to be with you guys again here shortly. So Terry, thanks for joining us today. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me out.